The holiday season is upon us, a time of giving, sharing, and loving. This year, perhaps more than any other in recent memory, our neighbors are in need. Carl Gilliard has been in that position, left without a job or a way to pay his bills in the Great Recession. That experience led him to start Savannah Feed the Hungry, a nonprofit organization that will distribute thousands of meals over the holidays starting Thanksgiving week. Gilliard is our latest difference maker. The Difference Makers podcast is presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. digital team at savannahnow.com. This is Difference Makers, a podcast featuring interviews with Savannah's community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. I'm Adam Van Bremer, and joining me for this episode is Carl Gilliard, who heads Savannah Feed the Hungry. Over the next 40 minutes, he'll share his story, as well as why and how he started a nonprofit that supports tens of thousands of Southeast Georgians, and what the trying times of the COVID pandemic have taught him about his neighbors. Here's the interview. So on this edition of Difference Makers, we have Carl Gilliard, who has been on with me before in the other podcast, and usually we talk about Representative Carl Gilliard, but today we're talking about Carl Gilliard, who leads the Savannah Feed the Hungry organization, and we are coming into a time of the year where that's top of mind for everybody. Next week is Thanksgiving, and then that rolls in through the Christmas season, and obviously with the COVID-19 situation, it's... I'm guessing that uh, that Carl and, and his folks are going to see more more people than ever that need to come out and need a hot meal and need a little bit of, uh, of love and attention. And Carl and his group are doing that. But Carl, before we dive into your specific events that are coming up, we usually start with, with a, some biographical information on this show. And uh, obviously, I know you are a longtime Savannian. Can you kind of give us your background? Are you were you born here? Were you raised here? What what was what was it like coming up? I was raised up in Savannah, Georgia, in a community that I call Hazard County, um, on the <laughs> east side of Savannah, Georgia, uh, across from my best friend Tommy Chu. Um, mm. So I've been raised yeah. up. Uh, Tommy Chu and I were best friends, and uh, we uh, we uh, grew up in a neighborhood that was quite diverse. He was the first. Chinese family. I was first African-American uh, family. Uh, my, my parents, uh, my mother worked for Colonel Hunter, uh, the, the, um, uh, on, uh, Hunter McLean, actually, the brother of, of General Hunter. And, uh, and uh, my father uh, worked hard at the sugar farm. So we, we grew up first, um, you know, African-American family in that area to have a, buy a home. And, um, you know, I knew what relationships and I knew what uh, the whole focus of, of real community, the beloved community, black, white, everybody, because Tommy and I were like brothers. So I uh, grew up in the Chatham County school system, went to the best school in the world, Blue and Gold Beach High School. Oh, yes. And then went to Morris Brown, Morris Brown College, and came back to Savannah in, um, and been here ever since. Right. So you mentioned a very diverse neighborhood and obviously a, a working class family. Was sports? Arts, music. I, I know that you're a minister, so I'm sure the church was in there. Well, what were some oh, of the uh, Adam? You'd be surprised. I grew up in. Um, I was telling my, um, my my children. I grew up in a neighborhood where everyone was superstars in sports. So it was <laughs> baseball. The whole neighborhood played baseball. We played football. We played basketball. Purvis Ellis grew up right in Hazard County, um, and he played basketball. They called Nervous Purvis back then, mm-hmm. and. Um, and uh, we had a, a great childhood uh, uh, where everyone got involved with everyone, um, from half rubber to everything. And as right. I grew up, I went to Beach High School and became drum major and went to Morris okay. Brown and became drum major. But my background, most people don't know, and a lot of people do know, I was a rap recording artist as a young man. Is that so, right? Yeah, we did positive rap, and it afforded me to meet Miss Coretta Scott King and Jesse Jackson and others to uh, to do some positive uh, 
you know, everything from stay in school to stop the violence to get out the vote. So that turned into an organization called Operation Love, uh, one of the largest youth organizations, and, and then going into unity in our community uh, when we had some of the highest murder rates in the nation in 1991. Oh, yeah. and the gangs we, were terrible, yeah. It, you know, uh, others, yeah. it, it, it was it was a it was a lot going on. 1991, 50, 59 murders that were all mostly uh, African American women, and um, and so we learned the values of coming together as a total community. And it wasn't in 1991 when we formed Unity in the Community. It wasn't about just the Black community. It was about all communities. And so, going back to my my, my background, uh, what my mother and father taught me and the, the beloved community, it, we live in a community where you're going to have black, white, everyone. And so we got to learn to work together and live together. So when crime was at an all-time high in 1991, we, the Savannah community, came together. So before we, before we get into that, I, I've got to double back on some things. First, uh, Purvis Ellison, in your neighborhood, goes to Savannah High, you go to Beach. Was there... You know, all my brothers and sisters uh, went to Savannah High School. They were Blue Jackets, and um, I was uh, the one that, when the census came up, my house, unfortunately, was one block out of the district, one block yes, right. between uh, Habersham and Price. So I was uh, uh, ostracized as a Blue Jacket and added some color of gold, and they took me to Beach High School, but one of my best experiences of a lifetime. So I had a, I was a, 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 an adopted uh, Blue Jacket, but uh, went to Beach High School. Wow, you can walk that line. That's, that's pretty impressive. And, and the other thing I want to follow up on is a drum major at an HBC. That is, that's a big deal, right? Can you kind of talk about that experience and, and making music? Well, I'm going to admit, I'm going to admit, I'm going to be a little richer for one minute. Um, often imitated but never duplicated. So when you see the drum major that's bending back in, in Savannah or wherever, you'll see that was my signature. I started that um, at Beach High School. When that, that, that young lady or that young man bends all the way to the ground, I, parents, I just want you to know I'm guilty. I started that at Beach High School. And my band director was Lawrence Hutchins Jr. Um, I um, felt that um, we had so many talented people in our neighborhood and in our schools that I wasn't worthy of going to college. So I, I was in senior ROTC, and I thought I was gonna go into senior ROTC and go into the military. And um, one day when I came home, because I was so good, I had about four um, scholarships from FAMU to Morris Brown to uh, a couple of others. And one day when I came home, my band director and my mother were at the door and I said, what is my band director doing there? They had my badge packed to go on the Greyhound bus to Morris Brown. So they were the, um, you're going to accept this scholarship, you're going to school, and they put me on the Greyhound bus, and I went to Morris Brown College. And many of you might remember Morris Brown from the movie Drumline. So yeah, yeah, um, it was one of the best, best experiences, fun, uh, taught me a lot about leadership. Uh, my band director, Cleophis Johnson, was one of the, 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 the best band directors in the history of marching bands. So can you still do the bend backwards move today is the question. I, I, can still, I can still march. I can still dance. I can still take the mace, but I ain't bending back. I'll let the videotape rewind. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get some straps or something on your shoulder. Something like I, I might be up, like right? the commercial. I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we'll see. That, that, might be, that might be some entertainment for one of your uh, – Well, you know, every, every year uh, the alumni – we have a strong alumni from Beach High School, a strong. And every year when they have the halftime show, they have the alumni band, and they always say, are you going to march this year? So I trained a lot of drum majors when I came. Um, I would come back home, and for about 10 years, I trained every last drum major that went to Beach High School. And um, I, I was able to get uh, uh, tutored by some of the best drum majors from uh, Savannah State to Johnson. All the, all the drum majors that were icons trained me. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I got my, my training from. Wow. Ministry. How did you, how did you get from, from Morris Brown and, and, and doing all the things you're doing in the community into the ministry? Well, I'll, I'll say this, you know, I, I, I was a student of Dr. King in the beloved community. I used to uh, just study and study and study the, 
Keynesian principles about the King and study the Civil Rights Movement. And I had a chance to meet uh, several icons that mentored me. One of the biggest ones was Reverend Dr. Hosea Williams. He was a very big mentor in my life. And I was privileged to meet, you know, and, and, and be connected to Reverend C.T. Vivian. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I met uh, the, the Dick Gregory's, the um, Mrs. Coretta Scott King. Um, I traveled with Ben Hooks and um, so many others in 1988 as a young man. And so the, the pinnacle toward ministry was inevitable because of my journey. You can't do anything. I don't care what or who you worship. You can't do anything without God. And, um, right. and so um, I, I have it as a, the same type of mentality that Dr. King would do, the Kingdom principles, um, that love is the strongest thing that you can use. And, and many times when you practice the principles of really loving your enemies, it, it makes you stronger. So when we were young men coming up in uh, our rap recording group, Candy Love, and then forming an organization, Project Love, it kind of catapulted me on because everything we would do, we were good guys. And we would always say, you know, we're always going to consult with the teachings that our parents, all of us were Bible Belt kids that had to get up and go to church. You know, um, uh, we, uh, I grew up at Tremont Temple Baptist Church, and I was the me baby out of 10. I was number, number nine. And um, um, I, uh, my, my mother would uh, call everybody else's name, uh, Danny, Mark, uh, Patricia, so-and-so. And then, oh, Carl, yeah, number nine, number nine. And, <laughs> and we had to walk from the east side of 34th and Habersham to back then West Broad and Park Avenue in a single file line down Henry Street to come up to service. We had to be in service. And afterwards, we went to the pharmacy uh, on MLK and got mm-hmm. got uh, you know, uh, ice cream or soda. Uh, that was our, our fun part of, yes, we're going to get some goodies. And then we had mm-hmm. to walk in a single file line back home to 34th Street. So, uh, um, you know, it's, it's from a lot of the roots of what you learn from your parents and then your destiny. Right. right. Yeah, I can just see the, the ducks in a row following, following mom. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty good. Um, feed the hungry. Can you kind of walk us through the, the start of that and, and how you developed it and, and, and come to where you are today? Well, I'll go back again. My mother um, was just a, a legendary community person and she uh, was one of the best cooks in the world. When you go to Savannah golf club, you're eating her fried chicken her, her oh, red wow. rice, That's all of that. Stuff. My mother would um, also manage the kitchen and the dining room for Savannah Golf Club for many years. So that's her recipe. Uh, um, she cooked for some of the best people. And growing up, um, when she cooked for Mr. Hunter, uh, the Kaminsky's would say, uh, Orman, um, uh, oh, I want some good food. Um, where'd you get that from? And he would say, uh, Miss, Miss Gertrude cooked that food. And so then the the Kaminsky's and the Conabads and all the Jewish community. So my mother learned uh, how to cook Jewish food, mm. and then she would cater the Jewish holidays. Well, this little kid named Carl and his siblings, we had to help out. So I started. I learned to be a connoisseur pretty early, and um, <laughs> and and she did something unique with her relationships. Every Christmas morning, she would get she would have us get up two o'clock in the morning, and she cooked. The, the, the most fine cuisine, gourmet meal, every sausage, every bacon, every, uh, every element of anything that was created, she cooked it for the entire community. And she would invite the, the echelon of those individuals that she knew that had influence, and she would open her doors at 308 34th Street to allow everyone to come in. Now, I don't care if you were homeless. I don't care if you were a robber, thief. You came in her house. And mm-hmm. so she started these Christmas breakfasts. Um, that's kind of the surface that we in the community even has a county, um, 31st, 32nd, 33rd uh, streets. Um, people, the neighborhood never let you go hungry. And so in 2009, I was working uh, for the Vaden organization. And um, I had a great uh, uh, stay at the Vaden organization. I started out in sales. Um, I went into management, and truthfully, I was probably number three in the whole organization of 10 dealerships. <clears throat> I, I loved uh, the company. Um, in 2008, every time I would 
get to Christmas, I would tell my, my, my customers, I'm going to retire. I'm going to start feeding. Uh, you know, I want to do some things. And they would say, you're crazy. You know, you, you're going to leave. And so in 2009, they asked me to come to the mothership, 9393 Abercorn. Mm-hmm. And I came there. I had a great uh, stay there. Uh, and that's when the recession hit. I was on pace right. to be, become salesman of the year. And something peculiar happened. Uh, about 28 to 29 of us that were in a very good pay grade, I mean, um, we were let go. I mean, can you imagine being the top salespersons and you're making, you're, you're selling cars, you ever had, you ever had more cars out than anybody, and they say, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to have to let you go. So <laughs> about this happened a couple of uh, days before Thanksgiving, and I'll never forget coming home to my family. We just purchased a house, had a new car and i had to tell my wife and my four daughters that we were you know that i don't know what to do we, i've just been laid off so when we left and gave up my house gave up the car and they didn't have to take it because i just couldn't pay it it's almost like what americans are feeling now right. where i saw a gentleman on good morning america a hard-working uh, middle-class american that had to give up his house give up everything they're renting. Um, now he has to get food assistance. Never did it in all his life. So we we gave up everything. And I remember during that Thanksgiving, I remember that we couldn't afford. We had two pieces of bread and a piece of bologna in the refrigerator. Uh, and 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 that 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 sticks with me very vividly because we had never been there, making six digits to no digits. And I had a chance to go back into the car business and all the above, but, you know, I think God was calling me to a, a higher calling. He's always mm-hmm. had, had my sights on Garden City, and um, you get this little, you know, this little nudge that I want you to go to Garden City. And I said, me? And so <laughs> we packed up um, and went to Garden City, and we formed Feed the Hungry. Now, the powerful point about that is that we're feeding people, and we don't have. And mm-hmm. I remember yeah. quietly hearing my kids say, is he crazy? Mama, we're feeding people and we don't have. Yeah. And uh, we started Feed the Hungry in 2009. Um, I went back to my mentor's daughter, Mrs. Elizabeth Omalami, Reverend Jose Williams' daughter in Atlanta, um, and they helped us. And we, were, we first were called Savannah Jose Feed the Hungry, named after Jose Feed the Hungry in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And they helped us get started. And since then, from 2,500 meals to weekly meals to all the above, Feed the Hungry was born. 1.5 million servings, the largest um, uh, organization in the, in, the, in the Southeast serving the working poor. Right. So you have a sales background. So getting this thing started, you, 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 knew, how to, you knew how to talk to talk. How was it received and how did you kind of uh, build the support to make it? Less success. You are listening to the Difference Makers podcast and a discussion with Savannah Feed to Hungry's Carl Gilliard. Before we continue, though, let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah area. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah region or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now, back to the interview with Carl Gilliard. I've always believed that I, I won't sell something unless I believe in it. And just like working for the Vaden organization, I believed in the organization. I believed in back then Nissan product. I believed in the Chevy product. And I definitely could preach and sell what I believed in because I'd gone through uh, the, the, the extension of poverty, um, the extension of being in your house and being homeless because you didn't have what you needed. And so, um, and then going back to those relationships, to be able to call on those relationships and say, look, I need your help. Mm-hmm. 
anybody in particular or, or any groups in particular really step up early on and give you the, the, the nudge or the, the leg up that you, you needed to, to get established and then grow from there? Well, one of the, the main entities is still a very powerful part of our um, partnership right now. I had a big relationship with Coca-Cola because my mother helped. Uh, she kind of, when she was cooking and all the above, from the Conabads to the Kaminsky's, Southern Motors and all the above, mm-hmm. one of the persons she, she kind of nurtured as a child and watched grow up was Peter Stewart. And Peter Stewart was the president of Coca-Cola. And Peter Stewart, every year when, uh, when our, our rap group would go on tour, he'd see us on the Lou Rawls Telethon, because we were a national recording group. We would tour with Salt and Pepper, Heavy D, Bobby Brown, all the above. Mm-hmm. And he would, he would, we, would, we would come home to Savannah, and my mother would say, Mr. Stewart wants you to call him. I said, oh, God, I got to call him again. And um, <laughs> he would always say, I'm so proud of you and all the above. So he was the president of Coca-Cola, and long after he left, we had relationships with Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola was very instrumental. And then we met um, a young man that said that he stood in the line for Jose Feed the Hungry in Atlanta. And he called me up one day from in-laws produce named Herb. And he said, I want to help you. Uh, he came over to our line and, um, and saw what we were doing on, on, on Travis on Telfair street and um, in-laws produce connected with us as a partner. And they have been our leading partner to this day. Hmm. It isn't amazing some of the some of the people you meet and, and how serendipitous it ends up being down the road, right? And, and you know, and it's powerful. I mean, um, just when you know when I we came home from the session with 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 this COVID, uh, this fierce virus, um, I, I I I knew I was going to get phone calls from people saying, "What are you going to do to help?" Because people are going to need help. And I said, "I'm just going to wait and see." And one of the first calls I got was from Steve Kaplan from in-laws saying, look, I need your help. And I said, what's going on? He said, I got 28 pallets of food and I need to get rid of it. This was oh, yeah, a, the restaurants are closed, right? Yeah. Right. That's right. 28 pallets is a lot of food. Yeah. And so I said, what's, when do you need to get rid of it, Steve? And uh, he said, tomorrow. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> so we kicked off Feed the City, um, feeding up to 23,000 people. In three months, we every other two weeks, we started a, a citywide initiative from east side, west side. Um, I, I, I pulled several elected officials into the body because we were coming in their districts. That was my way, being truthful, I'm guilty, and raise my hands up. That was my way of trying to u- unify even the political circuit to say, look, we're coming in, we're coming in Liberty City, Dr. Shabazz. We're coming in east side, uh, uh, Alderman Le- uh, Leggett. Uh, hey, Linda, uh, we're coming over there in East Savannah. Would you like to partner with us? Um, Alden and Pearly, we're coming out south side. So we fed 23,000 people. Um, we started out with in-laws. We made calls to Honey Baked Ham. We made calls to our partners at Purdue Chicken. So, um, you know, that's, that's the power of Feed the Hungry. It's an army feeding an army. Um, Feed the Hungry has come a long way. We've been in 14 cities. You know, most people don't know. We From the Darien to Macon to um, uh, Effingham, Statesboro, Brunswick, Sylvania, um, Orangeburg, South Carolina, you know, um, all over. So now, 12 seasons later, um, Feed the Hungry now is focusing on sustainability. Right. right. I think it's, it's really amazing the last seven, eight months, and I think it gets overlooked, is, and not just Feed the Hungry, but whether it's America's Second Harvest, whether it's Social Apostolate, whether it's Union Mission. So those organizations and the people that support them have stepped up so much during this COVID crisis. And um, and from your perspective, can you just can you just describe the the, the outpouring of of support in such a tough time and and what that really tells you about your neighbors and about this community? Well, it's it's a time. It's a call to action. Um, Many people can understand because, you know, Adam, they never experienced this. You're talking about middle class and and past middle class folks that are now in the line, Gulf Stream and uh, military and teachers and principals um, in the line because they have never experienced hunger. They didn't know that they, their, their income was going to be cut off, restaurants, business owners um, closing. So how do I feed my family? And so that's where America is right now. The lines 
uh, are profuse. Um, you know, it's it's a call to action for the village to get involved. Um, even even during this holiday season, we see all over America the long lines, the vegetables, the care packages. The farmers are lacking because they can't make money. So now, thank God for the CARES Act and and different ways of the, the, the food that's being paid for by the CARES Act so that the farmers and those businesses can stay alive. And then the numbers of, of individual organizations, churches, uh, and, and organizations that are agencies that are out there that are giving out the food. Now, Feed the Hungry has moved to another level because what we've been doing for every holiday dinner, and we'll do, I mean, if you come to the National Guard Armory or if you came to our, our Thanksgiving dinner, we're going to do a minimum of 5,000 people at one event, 10,000 people at a, at a Christmas dinner. Um, the smaller areas from Darien to Effingham and, you know, people, Statesboro, Brunswick, uh, Sylvania, Georgia. So what we've done is you, when you come to our event at a dinner, you can't come in unless you go through an empowerment zone. We've been doing that for 12 years. That empowerment zone is when you walk in that door, you have a chance to get a free health screening, career or job opportunities, go to school. Everything is free services. Get your hair cut. Get your fingernails done even. Um, and, and so all of our, we have about 700 volunteers at one Christmas event, another 300 at a Thanksgiving event. They come from every echelon, um, CEOs to to individuals um, that just want to bring their families from uh, six-year-olds on up to mothers and fathers. So they come through our empowerment zone, and when they come into our event, it is like the Ringling Brothers Bomb and Belly Circus <laughs> and Universal Soul Circus on a plate. We have just that much fun. We have a produce farmer's market at the event because we understand that most people um, the average person going through a line might not be able to get healthy, healthy food. So we promote right. that. Uh, they get a hot dinner. We have live entertainment. They see their leaders from the chief of police to elected officials to radio personalities, TV personalities. Everybody's there on the line serving. Um, one of the persons that I, I point out that came, there's always been a great supporter and a great friend that came to our dinner um, that we had to put a, a bullet on to say that he can't come back anymore. It's Kevin Jackson, the CEO from Environment. Uh, so uh, Kevin comes to our dinner and and um, and and I said, Kevin, you're going. He said, I want to volunteer. Envirovac has always been a great partner. And so Kevin comes there and I said, we're going to have 10,000 people. And all of a sudden he gets there, he sees 10,000 people. And Kevin comes and starts trying to rearrange the food line and rearrange this and rearrange that. <laughs> and so I said to him, Kevin, I got a better job for you. I gave him a feed the hungry cap. I put him in front of every camera. I, I, he went to every table. And when he got through, I said, I just want you to know you cannot come back to a feed the hungry event. You can support it, but you can't come back. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, we've got, we've had those kind of experiences where we, we just had fun. And it's a, it's a way, you know, like when my family was going through what we were going through, man, you know, we're sitting at someone else's table and when we're used to sitting at our table. Right. And so, you know, this year it's more significant, um, Adam, because there are a lot of people that won't be at the table because of this virus. Over right. a quarter of a million people have lost their life. Mm-hmm. That's a good segue into your events that you have coming up. I know, um, you got a big one next week, and it continues through the Christmas season. Can you kind of walk us, walk us through where you're going to be, and then also tell us, tell us what you need. Tell us, tell let's tell everybody and get people mobilized. I, I, I'll tell you. Every year we come back home to the John S. Delaware Center on 35th and Lincoln, and I pointed out that I lived on 34th and Habersham. Mm-hmm. But the significant part about me and Tommy too was that when we were young, uh, young, young boys we couldn't go into the Jenkins Boys Club. And this was in 1960. Right. This, this was the middle 70s to the, to the early 80s. We couldn't go. And that center now is called the John S. Delaware Center. Um, my mother and Larry Lee, he used to be the president of the Downtown Neighbor Association, um, sued the, the Jenkins Boys Club and they had an option to let us in or move. And of course they move. And I love the organization now, I work with them and they're doing a great job. But the significant part about coming back home to the John S. Delaware Center is that 
uh, when they won the suit, they gave uh, Mr. Lewis end up getting the center and uh, J.C. Lewis and donated it to the community for a dollar, and thus it became the John S. Delaware Center. We're coming back home to the John S. Delaware Center in 2020 to, to, to open the gates for everybody to come. This year we won't be able to, because of COVID-19, uh, to have an event that will, will, will be seated. This is going to be the first official holiday drive-through dinner. Uh, we're not going to do cooked meals um, as we usually do because I have to protect the value of our volunteers. We have a lot of seniors. Right. So we're looking at over 4,000-plus people that are going to still be coming. Um, we're, still, we're going to have a stage outside. We're going to have a band, infallible funk band. We're going to have radio personalities from Cumulus. Um, we're still going to have a great time, the music, all the above. But we're, um, we're going to be giving away everything from full meals like turkeys, uh, rice, uh, uh, bunches of collard greens, cranberry sauce, um, stuffing. Um, Purdue has come through. Uh, uh, we're going to be giving out, you know, Purdue chicken. Um, so that family will have meals um, that they can actually prepare. Uh, just today we'll be at St. Leo University providing full meals for 12 families that we've sponsored in partnership with St. Leo's University. It's a tough time. Um, the number one item that we need are turkeys. Um, turkeys are um, the number one item that we need. Um, okay. And then financial, financial donations. Um, as we go into the Christmas holidays, we'll be doing the Windsor Forest Community Center, and we're going to do the same thing. We're gonna, uh, anyone can register on our website at www.savannahfeedthehungry.net, and they go to our website and look up where the, the section register for toys and they can register online for toys. Our, our staff will give them a call back and get them acclimated, but when they come through the drive-through line, they're gonna get a meal already um, ready for them to prepare, and they'll still get their toys, the same entertainment, all the above. Um, so the 24th, we're at the John S. Delaware Center starting at 3 p.m. On the 25th, we're in Sylvania, Georgia, at the Kale Community Center um, in Sylvania, Georgia, starting at 3 p.m. and um, um, Councilwoman Cynthia Scott is our lead person there, and they've been doing a great job. This is their fourth year. And then, of course, December 23rd at the Windsor Forest Community Center, and we call that the big one. Okay. Again, you are listening to a conversation with Savannah Feed the Hungry's Carl Gilliard on the Difference Makers podcast. While Carl is catching his breath for a moment, I want to invite you to subscribe to savannahnow.com. Hold on now, I've got a deal for you. For a limited time, podcast listeners get the first month free and pay just $7.99 a month after that. That's an inexpensive way to reconnect with your community one story at a time. You'll get the latest from Savannah City Hall, find out what's going on in our schools, catch the latest sports happenings, and enjoy a blend of diverse, insightful opinion pieces from our many local, state, and national contributors. Visit savannahnow.com slash digital only offer to sign up. That's savannahnow.com slash digital only offer. Now, here's the rest of the Difference Makers interview. So the 24th is next Tuesday. The 25th would be mm-hmm. Wednesday, so Thanksgiving Eve. And, and, That's correct. In December. So tell us about the big one. I, I, I know that uh, 10,000. Meals is ten thousand. You you know you know so funny, um, Adam. I used to call these meetings when we would we uh, feed the hungry. At one time, we gave out food every day, Monday through Friday. A lot of produce that we gave away. And um, when I first started calling these meetings, uh, vision meetings, uh, my my uh, volunteer staff would would think I was crazy. I said, "We're going to go to fourteen cities." I was like, "Oh Lord, there he goes. He's crazy again. See that?" <laughs> um, and and so. Uh, one year, we were at Tompkins Community Center doing what we call the emergency giveaway. If, we, if someone calls us today and says, I got an 18-wheeler full of strawberries, that, those right. strawberries are going out within the hour of us getting them. And right. so we had a you know, big event at Tompkins, and the guy says, how many people are you expecting? I said, oh, we're expecting about 1,000. So the, the center manager put out 20 chairs. I said, okay. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he said, oh, my God, they're all down, they're all down Highway 17. I said, yeah, I told you. So yeah. um, the same thing with the Christmas dinner, every bit of 10,000. 
And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, years ago, the Army, the BOSS program, is some of our number one volunteers from Hunter and Fort Stewart. And they came to me saying, listen, um, we have a need. We got soldiers and, and, and um, families that just don't have. Can you come to Hinesville, Fort Stewart? And I said, well, we hadn't had on our schedule. This was two weeks um, before um, we got ready to close out our season. We ended up taking everything we had that was supposed to be earmarked for Savannah's event, which was up to 10,000, you know, up 5,000 toys, but enough food for 10,000 people. And we took it to, um, to Hinesville the day before, not knowing what we was going to do the next day. It was a great success. We fed thousands of people, helped uh, uh, hundreds of families with toys. But we came back to Savannah the next day at the National Guard Army with no toys. We, we were able to make calls and helping with the food, but the toys, we didn't have any toys. And so uh, Joanne Merrigan from WSAV uh, came and did a story, and she says, well, what are you going to do? She came to do a story on the Thursday, and the event was on Friday, and we had a box. And she said, well, what are you going to do about the toys you need? You need toys for up to 5,000 people. I said, Joanne, we just believe in faith. And so she was shaking her head like, yeah, Reverend Gilliard is going to do this dinner tomorrow. He's trying to get up to 5,000 toys, and this box is just here, and I'm in whatever. And so it was kind of like, okay, we'll see. So uh, we got to the National Guard Armory, and it was like a tsunami. It was, you know, no one in there, and then all of a sudden it's a tsunami of 5,000 people coming in at, you know, one time, and then we let another 5,000. And uh, people were bringing toys in earlier, so the walls had about, you know, maybe about 200 toys or so. And so my volunteers were, like, panicking, saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So the news channel goes live at 6 o'clock. And all of a sudden, they're going live, and we're standing up. They're doing an interview, and all of a sudden, the back doors of the, uh, like the garage part, the doors that uh, led up in the back of the National Guard Army start opening up. Here comes this 18-wheeler with the United States Marine Corps with 10,000 toys. Toys for tots, right? Yeah. Yep. At at that moment when we had nothing. So those are the incredible moments that that we've had. my, my, my hopes and prayers to anyone listening is that you will sacrifice and give. I mean, the financial donations to feed the hungry. Um, you can drop off any physical donations to the Empowerment Center at 4704 Augusta Road in Garden City, right across from Groves High School. Um, you know, our, our staff will take a turkey. They'll take rice. They'll take anything you have uh, on the menu is uh, anything from turkey to rice to cranberry sauce to um, to uh, uh, corn or green beans um, and financial donations are are the biggest thing. Um, toys also. So for the food and the toys, what are the hours they can drop that off? Your staff, I Mon- assume they're twenty four. Monday through Friday from ten to five p.m. Okay. Great. And Saturdays from ten until four. So as we start to, uh, to wrap up here, I want to talk a little bit big picture. Uh, obviously, you've seen, you've seen a lot of growth in, in your own organization. I think COVID has probably changed a lot of the outlook. Uh, COVID, I think we can assume now as, as we see these vaccines starting to come into existence is, is probably something we're going to conquer here in the near future. But how does what has happened over the last year change or evolve things for, for organizations like yourself, like yours? Well, um, outside of you, the partners are, are very important. Uh, Georgia Port Authority has been the leading partner, um, not just for Feed the Hungry, but for the Empowerment Center. Going to those partners, and um, Lee Beckman did something very powerful the other day, and it did change the narrative for Feed the Hungry. One of the largest freight uh, um, ships that you see coming down is uh, connected to a great company called CMA. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so um, Georgia Port has been so supportive because we're right in the backyard with the Empowerment Center. So we, the logistic jobs, you know, we're plugging people in um, financially. They've been a big supporter for the last, you know, couple of years. And, um, and so uh, Lee Beckman calls me and talks to me and he says, I've got a uh, a group that really wants to help, and there, if you've ever seen the big uh, freight liner, and I begin to talk to them and get excited, and they came in this year uh, to help us and partner and change the narrative, because 
that you know that donation alone would would render us a couple of thousand more people that we could feed and so um it's the partners it's the uh, individuals kia of savannah and uh, all of uh, uh, anything from radio partners anything from those partners that that help us um, we had one company that came and gave pallets and pallets of sanitizer um just simple solutions so um, what, what's going to change the narrative for nonprofits and organizations are new partners um, and to choose um, family um, with the businesses. They, they're always helping. What can we do? You know, so and no matter how small, and the biggest thing are people, just simple people. You would be surprised of people that used to be in the line for Feed the Hungry that are volunteering, yes. that are bringing turkeys, um, organizations, um, like Zeta Phi Beta and organizations like Omar Temple that are volunteering, um, City of Savannah and the police department that's helping us coordinate, you know, you know these events. So we can't do it by ourselves. Um, um, even what you're doing, Adam, is a, is is very important because we got to, you know, somebody's listening and they never knew the story of Feed the Hungry. They never knew. Um, the, the level of they're thinking about, we don't deal with a lot of, we're in homeless prevention. Mm-hmm. Union Mission does a great job with the homeless. The Salvation mm-hmm. Army is one of our partners. They do a great job. But we're in the job of homeless prevention. We're fighting for the working poor. And so um, the biggest thing, Adam, is after these dinners, we got to get people on their feet. And that's where the Empowerment Center comes in. The right. Empowerment Center, we partner with St. Joseph. Um, we were able to get over 200 people into houses, moving from renting to houses um, and getting uh, resources from DCA of $15,000 down payment. 200 people in homes were getting expungements with Georgia Legal Services from people that, you know, that their records uh, should be expunged after all these years. Uh, we partnered with Savannah Technical College. We have GED programs, Safe Serve certifications, forklift uh, um, certifications, all of the above. Uh, um, St. Uh, Leo University, um, we're, we're, this is what the Empowerment Center is. So when you come into the Empowerment Center, it's a hand up instead of a hand out. Right. And we're getting people on their feet with financial literacy. Um, so after these dinners are over with, we've got to get people back to work and on their feet. And that's the exciting part. When they come to our dinners, we give them a care bag. And um, that care bag has information about programs and how do you get back on your feet. So the last thing before I let you go is I'm going to force you to, to take your feed the hungry chef's hat off and put on your, put on your Georgia house pin. Uh, obviously the, the session will be here before we know it. And it's a, a new session with some, some new members. And mm-hmm. uh, as, as a, as a Georgian, what should I be looking for come next, uh, come January, February, March, and, and part of April out of, out of what's coming out of the Georgia Capitol? Well, the number one bill um, I think is going to be well, one of the number one bills will be my bill, um, which is the uh, repeal for Georgia citizen arrest. Um, and it's, it's on the top of the agenda. I think um, Chairman Chuck of Stration um, did some hearings on it. Uh, right time session was over with. And um, what I was able to do with the bill, the bill is a bill that in 1863, it's outdated and antiquated. And when you hear about the Ahmaud Aubrey case, um, you would think about the repeal of the citizen arrest law. Um, a guy named Thomas R. Cobb, uh, you know, uh, was a person that wrote the doctrine on um, on how to get around and, and kind of almost in a nice way, Adam, lynch people. And so this law was created back then on one purpose for that. The other purpose that was created is there were was, there was smaller um, units for law enforcement and they didn't have the help they need, so citizens would get involved. Um, we're um, uh, currently is House Bill 1203. We've gotten support from GMA. Um, their policy uh, committee has endorsed it. Law enforcement is saying the same thing that Carl is saying. If you know, if you need to to look at arresting someone, call the professionals 911. Sure, yeah. and let them come. Um, in the bill, it says 48 hours. Um, to, to, to hold someone. That's a long time for a lot of things to happen. And sure. so what we're doing is um, we've got the South Fulton um, um, has done a, um, a, a resolution, Brunswick, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, um, um, the city of Atlanta. It's so far that um, I did an a interview on the Daily Show and with the Washington Post, 
that uh, Sen Senator uh, Michael Janarius, who's the deputy um, minority leader, majority leader in New York, is doing a bill to emulate it. Uh, Representative Wendell Gilliard in South Carolina is doing a bill to emulate it. So that's one. Um, the other things are, we, I'm sure as we have our new president-elect coming in, um, that Medicaid expansion and raising the minimum wage to livable wage is going to come up. Um, I know that we also budget budgetarily, we've got some issues now that we've got to look at how we can help these businesses stay alive, farmers right. stay alive. Um, how can we get people back on their feet um, in the state of Georgia as far as with everything happening? So being on the Appropriations Committee, I know that those items are going to be very profuse on how do we keep the sustainability for Georgia. And then lastly, on my radar, um, I'm, I'm bringing back the Nancy Hanks bill because it's time. Uh, we need a study committee. Um, we've uh, we got a new chairman coming in uh, on the Transportation Committee. And that uh, nonstop uh, uh, rail uh, from Savannah to Atlanta is very important with over 16 million um, uh, tourists coming into Savannah. Surely other areas could benefit from the traffic of tourism and, and commerce. So um, I, I'm asking the speaker and asking for the consideration of us having a study committee to start looking at it as a long-term plan for Georgia. Um, the other thing that's going to come up um, is that in the House of Representatives in 1865, there were 33 original African-Americans. I don't know if you knew, but I'll make the announcement on your show. I'm doing a film now called The Original 33. Oh, wow. And, and the original 33 were 33 black legislators. Um, the key person was Tunis Campbell. And Tunis Campbell was a senator, and his son was a representative. And so they came in, same thing under this, this same premise, that they were Frederick Douglass Republicans. They got elected, but they were not allowed to take the oath of office. I mean, they were not allowed to serve. Some of them were lynched. Some of them were framed. And so five of them were from Chatham County. Um, Henry Neal Turner, who was the pastor of uh, First African and, and, uh, and several members of First Bryan, all about, about 25 of them were AME pastors. So I'm working on the film with Moon Rabbit Media here in Savannah. We're going to bring it out during the session. There is a bill asking for a memorial plaque in the state capitol to commemorate these 33 courageous men that did not get a chance to fully serve in the Georgia House of Representatives. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to going to have to connect with you on that because that certainly deserves a lot of a lot of newsprint as well. And, and, and you know, and, and let me commend our speaker. Our speaker, when we came up to do the trailer, allowed us to go into the the, the Georgia House of Representatives and have full access to the Capitol because he understands as well as I do that this is a year of healing for everybody. We come out of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. We've come out of COVID. We've come out of elections. So this is, that's why this movie is so important because he, like myself, we understand that it's a time for healing. Right. right. Well, Carl, all the best in, in what Feed the Hungry has, in what Feed the Hungry has coming up here in, in the coming weeks. And, and God bless you and all your volunteers for what you do. And thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you, Adam. It's always my pleasure to be on your show, and thank you for the opportunity. That's a wrap on this episode of Difference Makers. Thanks to Savannah Feed the Hungry's Carl Gilliard for being my guest, and to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as the creative coach Jeff Bonet, Plant Riverside District developer Richard Kessler, and convenience store magnate Greg Parker. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. On behalf of myself and producers Asha Gilbert and Zach Dennis, thank you for listening.